the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called The Living Church of the Living King, looking at the beautiful and glorious picture of Jesus Christ as the living one that gives our call to the church. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. You can find it in your Bibles near the very end of the Bible. We're going to read the letter to the church in Ephesus. Today we, um, we dive into the seven letters that are written to the seven churches throughout this particular part of the world at this time. This one is to the church in Ephesus. These are, these are just fantastic. Let's remember as we hear this, this is God's word. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. There's an all-too-common occurrence in all sorts of human lives. It's not something that's new. It's something that's been around for a very long time. It's an occurrence that's, that's described in a whole bunch of different ways. The fading glow of a flame that once burned hot. A, a cooling where there was once warmth. A distance where there was once nearness. A familiarity that maybe breeds contempt and leads to conflict. We're all too well acquainted with the excitement that can come along with the development of a new friendship or the passion that that characterizes a bride and a groom as they begin their life together as husband and wife or the commitment that goes along with the beginning of a new endeavor, but that sort of passion and excitement and commitment that somehow doesn't light, that that doesn't last, but the excitement dims, the passion cools. This is the problem that the church in Ephesus faces, a glow that grows dim a love that's been forgotten. 
This is a temptation that exists in every single church. Because you and I need to understand that the letters that were written to these ancient churches are deeply relevant for us here at Orland Park Christian Reformed Church in 2019. The message contained here in Revelation 2, 1 to 7 for the church in Ephesus was intended for us as well. It was meant for you today as you're here, as you're listening to me, as you hear me. And the structure of the letters helps us to see that. Each one of the letters that is going out to these ancient churches is structured in the same sort of way. It starts with the churches receiving a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ that calls back our attention to Revelation chapter 1. One of the characteristics of the Son of Man who appeared to John and told him to write these letters is given to the churches to remind them who it is that's communicating to them. After this encouragement to write to the angel of the church a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, what follows is a series of encouragements. And then some confrontation, encouragement and confrontation. This is the way of the majority of these letters, except for a couple. There are two churches that don't receive any encouragement. There are two churches that don't receive any confrontation. But the general structure is to receive some encouragement and then some confrontation. And then after the confrontation, some warning, a word of warning, a call to repent. And then it concludes, every, everyone concludes in the same sort of way. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now you'd think, having the fact that these are written to individual churches, that this might end with, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. But already in the text, it's more broadly, this message was intended for the churches to hear and to listen to and respond to. And because we know that God's Word is living and active, it means that Orland Park Christian Reformed Church is one of the churches that's included in that. That this is a message that we who have ears to hear should listen to and pay attention to and heed here in 2019 in Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. There are some in every church who need to hear specifically the messages contained here in Scripture. The word from the lips of our glorious Savior. This is a message that the Holy Spirit wants for you to hear. And so I'm going to ask genuinely that you would pray with me during the course of this series. That you would pray, Lord, give me ears to hear what you are saying to Orland Park CRC. Give me ears to hear what you're saying to me. Because the message contained in here is for you. This is a message for you. And so I will be praying, just like I prayed at the beginning of this message, that God would give us ears to hear, and I pray that you would join me and pray that with me all throughout the time of this series. Today we're going to take a look at this letter that was initially written to the church in Ephesus. And this is going to be a five-point message today. And uh, here are the points. You're going to have to help me with this. I was on a G theme, and I had a hard time with the third point. So the glory is the first one. The good is the second The egregious is the third. See, this is the bad one. I got a G sound in there, but it's not the first letter. So think and talk to me after the sermon. I got a couple of suggestions. Some people said, uh, some people said gross. Some people said grotesque. uh, And some people said garbage. So you can tell me if you can improve on that. And to you who are in college and thinking about such things as like words and tests, I'm especially looking to you to this, right? I need some help. So anyway, the, the glory, the good, the egregious, and then the good again. And last, we have the goal. This is what's contained here in this section of scripture, these five things. Let's work our way through it. First, the glory. Two things are glorious here at the beginning of this letter that's written to this church in Ephesus and that is for us today. First is written to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? Now, we talked about this briefly last week. One of the big questions that we have when we approach the text is, now, who or what is this angel that's being written to? 
I mentioned this also briefly last week. In some traditions in the United States of America, it's understood to be the pastor of the church. And this is a reasonable interpretation because angelos, the word angelos, which we translate angel, this means simply messenger. And so what this might be saying is that this, uh, this heavenly messenger of God is the pastor. Heavenly not because he's holier than anyone else, but because he bears a holy message, the very word of God. This might be it. But this comes with it a little bit of difficulty because every time this word angelos, angel, is used in the New Testament, unless this is an exception, every other time that it's used, it refers to a heavenly message. It refers to a heavenly messenger, a heavenly angel. And so that means that that some people think that perhaps this means the the spiritual power that undergirds each church, perhaps the message of the scripture, or the fact that God is the one that upholds these churches is what's being referred to. And the spiritual power that upholds these churches or the message of these churches is why when you say write to the angel of the church, you mean write to the the church itself, right? This is a message for the whole church. And so it may be that this is a, a metaphor that's spoken, speaking of the fact that there is a, a spiritual power that undergirds churches, or it may be that there is a heavenly angel, a heavenly being that's a representative of these seven churches that is kept by God. We're told in Revelation chapter 1 that the seven angels are, are in the hands of the Lord God, and so these messengers are, are held by God. This may be that there are real, literal heavenly messengers, a holy angel from heaven that stands before the Lord Jesus Christ that's a representative of each one of these congregations. It may be that there's an angel of Orland Park CRC in heaven with the Lord right now. Regardless, I think that there's an important point, the fact that this is written to an angel, and that is the church needs to appreciate the truth and the reality of angels. This reminds us that there is a plane of existence that you and I are tempted to forget about or ignore or disbelieve because we live in this secular scientific age. There are angels. There are real spiritual realities that you and I cannot see. There is a plane of existence that we don't perceive with our natural eyes but nonetheless exists. And I believe that the church needs to own and glory in the fact that God has holy angels And that's for our benefit and for his glory. That these angels are heavenly messengers who will sometimes come, who will sometimes appear, they'll sometimes minister at the behest of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the command of the Lord Jesus Christ who is himself the king of the angels because of his glory. I love stories to this end. I heard just this week a story from one of my friends. I was talking to him on the phone and he said, you know, there is a, a woman that I was friends with She and her family were experiencing a uniquely challenging period of time where they had no money, and they had reached the end of their resources, and they weren't sure if they were going to have groceries for the course of one week, and as that week was beginning, the doorbell rang, and this young, this woman that he was friends with, she was the mother of this family, opened the door, and there was a stranger she had never seen before who gave her encouragement in the Lord and then handed her a bag of groceries, handed her enough groceries for her to take the family through a period of time, right? Now, it may, be that, it may be that the Lord motivated and moved within someone's heart for them to take necessary provisions to this family from that neighborhood, a stranger she had never seen and someone that she would never see again to this day. It may also be that this was an instance where the Lord sent a heavenly messenger to minister to this family who was in need. <coughs> I'm going to tell you a story about myself, which I, I am sometimes reticent to tell because sometimes when I've told it, 
I'm made fun of or people tell me that this is a little frivolous, that these couldn't possibly be angels. Let me tell you a situation where I think I may have been visited by angels. Understand that I'm not saying this conclusively. I understand that, that you might think this is frivolous, but I, I just need to tell you the story. I was in seventh grade, or going into seventh grade. It was the summer before seventh grade. And I was, up, I was going to Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp to play my violin at orchestra camp for two weeks. This was something I was not particularly looking forward to for a number of reasons. And one of the reasons I was not looking forward to it is that I was frightened to be by myself for the course of two weeks away from my family. I was, I was a young person. I was having a hard enough time in middle school where I was with my family, being away from my family with no one that was in my corner in a place that was completely unfamiliar, in a secular environment where I was not used to with a bunch of people I did not know was something that was terrifying to me. And so I was dropped off by my family, and they waved goodbye because it's time for the family to leave, and I was so scared. And I went to the place where lunch was being served, and I ordered lunch, and it seemed like everybody else went there with a friend or two or three, and so everyone was sitting together already. It seemed like there were some cliques that were forming, and I sat on a picnic table all by myself looking at everybody else who seemed to have a much easier time than me engaging with other people their own age. And I was scared, and I was lonely. And despite the fact that at this point the families were supposed to all have been gone, there was a mom and a dad and a daughter that sat with me on the picnic table. And they immediately engaged me in conversation. They told me all about the camp and everything that I needed to know for my two weeks there. They assured me that it was going to be okay. They told me that I was going to be able to handle it, that I would find friends. They they, they spoke all manner of encouraging words to me. The, The daughter in the family also had a violin with her, so we were co-violinists, right? And she said that she told me where I had to go to audition to be placed, where we were going to be placed in the orchestra. And, uh, And so I went on my way. I told her I'd see her there, but I didn't see her the rest of the week. Didn't see her parents. I knew all the violinists at this camp. I mean, this was a, this was violin camp. I never saw her again. Let me tell you, I, it may be that it's somebody that I just missed the rest of the week, right? Somebody that was in my orchestra that I simply just never saw again. But it may be That because God is gracious and good, and because he knew that his child was afraid, that he sent a messenger to minister to me and care for me, a way for me to know of his love. In any case, the angel of the churches is held by Christ Jesus. And it's important for us to recognize, it's important for us to realize that angels are real. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukemai. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called The Living Church of the Living King, looking at the beautiful and glorious picture of Jesus Christ as the living one that gives our call to the church. I was at a revival at Union Tabernacle uh, Baptist Church in the city, and Charlie Dates was the guest revivalist, and at the end of the sermon he prayed, Lord, as everyone heads home this evening, I pray that you would post angels on each of the four corners of their cars, that you would protect them from any harm through your holy messengers. And I remember listening to that and thinking, I have never prayed with that level of specificity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this prayer, which reminds me that you, that you protect us and that you can make use of your holy angels. 
So the first glory is the fact that this is written to the angel of the church of Ephesus, and the second glory is even greater, the fact that we're given a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, Jesus here is pictured, and he is glorious. He's the power of the church. He's the king of the church. And so as we read these words, remember who is speaking to you here, and as you go out from here at the end of this message, remember who it is that you are serving, the Lord Jesus himself, the one who holds the seven stars in his hand and stands among the seven lampstands. And as Jesus begins to speak, he starts with the good that the church in Ephesus is doing. And this is recorded in verses 2 and 3. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. The good that is offered as an encouragement to this church in Ephesus is that this is a steadfast, enduring church that doesn't grow weary. Instead, they labor. They work hard for the sake of Christ and his ways to the point of toil. They endure in this toil. The Christian life, understand, please understand, the Christian life is opposed to any type of earning. You can't earn the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Christian life is not opposed to effort. And in fact, if you are a Christian, you are someone who should be exerting effort to grow in your faith, exerting effort to know more about the Lord, exerting effort to spend time in prayer. It is a hard thing to pray. We should be exerting effort for the cause of other people. We should be exerting effort to know our brothers and our sisters better. We should be exerting effort to grow in holiness. We should be exerting effort to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ, not to earn the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ, but because we've been saved for a purpose, and that purpose is to continue to labor for the cause of Christ Jesus. This is what the church in Ephesus was doing well, laboring and working, laboring and working. And part of their toil is enduring and continuing and being tired and yet continuing on and feeling depleted and still getting up to give and to serve and to care and support. And some of the toil is doctrinal. You see, they tested the life and the doctrine of those who claimed to be apostles and were not. Let me read this section of scripture again to let you know where we are. It says... But have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. That's the second part of verse 2. There were teachers at this time who claimed to be from God. And yet their actions and their doctrine proved that they were not messengers of the Lord. And this is part of the task of faithful Christians and of faithful churches. To test teaching from those who claim to be of God to make sure that it's faithful. To make sure that it's faithful. You know, this is one of those times where the message that's written to Ephesus just comes so clearly to us. Because today, there are many, many works that are composed and books that are written and talks that are given. All by people who claim to be from the Lord. And the frightening thing is that not all of them are. And part of the work that's entrusted to us is to observe them and to ask, what is their life like? What is their life like? You know, if somebody claims to be from God and is preaching a message but does not live in a manner that pleases the Lord, then that tells you something serious about them. Now, let me be clear, okay? 
There is no Christian leader that is perfect. There is no Christian leader that is without sin. There is no Christian leader that won't sometimes, sometimes fall into sin, right? I'm not saying that when you look to a Christian leader that you should look for perfection. There is one Christian leader who is perfect, and that's Christ Jesus. He's the only person who has ever lived and been perfect throughout his life. But what I am telling you is that the work of the Christian messenger and the Christian leader or the Christian pastor that the life of such a leader should be a life lived in a manner that pleases the Lord. And so as you take a look at Christian leaders that purport to be giving you a message from the Lord, ask this, does their life consist of lavish luxury or humble obedience? As you examine their life, are, are they faithful to their spouse? Are they faithful to their church? Do they submit to their elders? Do they honor God by their speech? Is their life lived in accord with what it is that God calls us to? And is their message true? Is their message true? Do they say things that are true? Again, in Ephesus, there were those who claimed to be telling the church true things, but they had a message of falsehood. It was a good thing that the church in Ephesus was refusing to believe a message that disagreed with the word of God in scripture. That should instruct us. If somebody comes and brings a message that disagrees with God's word, you should disregard that message. And let me tell you, the sad thing is, again, there could be words that might itch your ears, right? There might be words that are humanly plausible. Pay attention. Pay attention. Does what they say agree with the scriptures? Because there are, all sorts. there are all sorts of books that you could read. There are all sorts of messages that have been given. And, and the message that's contained in it is something like, did God really say? Did God really say this or that or the other thing? Did he really? If you'll recall, that was the message of the serpent as he tempted the man and the woman in the garden. Did God really say? And so if any teacher, even one claiming an apostle, comes and says, hey, did God, did God really say? Disregard the message and believe God's word more than any human leader. Don't believe, don't listen to that which is false. But despite the fact that this church was doctrinally sound and that that was very good, nonetheless, the Lord still needed to confront them. And this confrontation takes place in verse 4. And this is what's egregious in the church. This is what's gross or grotesque. This is the garbage that existed in the church. This I have against you, verse 4, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. The church in Ephesus had forgotten its love. Love was lost. Now you might wonder, now does this mean like love for God or does this mean the love that we're supposed to have for each other? Which love was lost here? Was it a love for God or was it a love for my neighbor, for my brother, or for my sister? Well, John, who wrote Revelation here, writing down what Jesus Christ dictated to him, writing Revelation, all of which was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John also wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 4 verse 20 says this, if anyone says, I I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The answer is both. The love that had been lost in this church was a love for the Lord God and a love for his people, a love more broadly for others. A diminishing love for God is always accompanied by a diminishing love for others. And a diminishing love for others always evidences a diminished love for God. This was a church that had first been captivated by the gospel message and had loved God and his people, but that love had grown dim. The glow of that love had grown dim. The embers had turned cold. 
And this speaks to the difficult dichotomy that we face as Christians. One of the things that can happen to congregations is that they can be doctrinally sound and yet unloving. And that's the kind of church that Ephesus was. Doctrinally sound and yet unloving. And the soundness of their doctrine was good. And the lack of love was bad, very bad. Charles Spurgeon preaches a message on this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he has some just brilliant things that I want to share with you that he said. He was the preacher, the 16th century preacher, and here's what Spurgeon says. He says, when we first loved the Savior, how earnest we were. There was not a single thing in the Bible that we did not think most precious. There was not one command of his that we did not think to be like fine gold or choice silver. Never were the doors of his house open without us being there. If there were a prayer meeting at any hour of the day, we were there. He continues and says, It is your loss of your first love that makes you seek the comfort of your bodies instead of the prosperity of your souls. He continues on and says, That first love does not last half so long as we could wish. Some of you stand here convicted, even here, that you have not that blazing love, that burning love, that ridiculous love, as the world would call it, which is, after all, the love to be most coveted and desired. No, you've lost your first love in that respect. Again, how obedient you used to be. If you saw a commandment, that was enough for you. You did it. But now you see a commandment, and you see profit on the other side. And how often do you dally with the profit and choose the temptation instead of yielding an unsullied obedience to Christ? This is what happened in Ephesus. They forgot the love that was theirs at first. And this is something that can happen to us as well, all too easily. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com